0: That's great. That is great. Uh, If you have a Bible tonight, let's go to Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And um, this book is written to give us a lot of insight into how a person who loves God, is called by God, and is gifted by God can also go horribly wrong. And uh, it's a warning to all of us. Uh, Paul tells us in the New Testament... "...therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed..." Anybody remember the rest? "...lest he fall, lest he fall." And um, it's just so easy for us to get to where we, uh, where we deceive ourselves. Remember how many times in the Bible it tells us about deceiving ourselves. Probably no one else is deceived. They can see you and see through you, but you deceive yourself... And I think Solomon lived that kind of life. And so God the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things down. Some of them are profound and very helpful. Some of them are kind of dark and mysterious. And sometimes even a little scary. And he does that because we need a glimpse of where we could end up. And uh, we talked around here for a long time about finishing the course. But finishing it well. Like the Apostle Paul talked about and uh, you know it's just easy to kind of get to the end and fumble everything and we just don't want to do that and so God allows us to get some insight so that we can see into our own minds and into our own heart and so that we can be warned and Solomon um, was one of those people who was a deep thinker and he would kind of obsess on certain things Because as you go through this book, it's like, good night, Solomon. How many times are you going to say that? Well, he probably thought it a million more times than he actually wrote it. To us, we might think, you know, do we really need to see this and hear this again? But I think it's the Lord giving us insight. This is what happened every time Solomon laid down his head to go to sleep. You ever had your brain not shut off? You ever had it where something just eats and eats and eats at you and you can't seem to get off of it? You can't seem to find any resolution. You can't seem to get to a place to where you can relax on it. It just, the more questions are answered, the more questions that you have. Now, uh, when I preached Rachel Freeman's funeral, I got more comments about one thing that I said at the very beginning. I said that life is like a 3,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. And somebody dumps it out on the table and they say, okay, now put it together. And if you and I were to take that having no idea what the picture was, sometimes it helps to see the box. But let's say we don't have the box. We don't know what it's a picture of. It might be the Mona Lisa. It might be a tree. It might be you know any number of things. And so we pick up a piece of the puzzle. And we look at that and we go, what in the world is that? Well, it's got to fit in here somewhere. What is that thing? How does this fit in? I don't know where this goes, top or bottom or where, where in the world am I going to put this? And if you obsess until you know the answer of where that puzzle piece goes, you're never going to put the puzzle together. You're never going to make any progress. And so when my kids were little and we'd be working, I don't like puzzles, but when we would work on those kind of things, I would tell them, look. Here's a a piece right now. You notice something about it? It's got two straight edges. It's a corner. Now, I don't know whether it goes here, 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 or here, but we've narrowed it down to one of four places, haven't we? Then we pick up another corner and we put them all together. Now we've got our four corners. And then we look and, oh, there's one with a straight edge on it. That tells us it's a border. And so we work until we find it, and pretty soon we're going, oh, this piece goes with this one. Oh, this corner piece goes down here, and this one must be up here, and we begin to put it all together, and we fit the pieces in. And a lot of people, I think what we uh, get insight into this passage tonight, are like Solomon. They are not really going to progre- progress any further than what they can personally understand. Now, if you've been saved any length of time, if you've ever read through your Bible, there are things in there that are very difficult to understand. In fact, does that make you feel bad? Shouldn't. We all struggle with that, don't we? All of us, even the most mature. In fact, you ready to have your mind blown? The Apostle Peter, when he was writing his epistle, he talked about the writings of Paul. And, <coughs> excuse me, Peter says that the writings of Paul are hard to understand. Wow. The apostle Peter who walked with Jesus, one of those, witness to the resurrection, wrote part of the Bible himself, and yet when he would read Romans or Galatians, he would look at that and say, Whoo, I've got to wrap my mind around that, I've got to think about that. Because some things in the Bible are not easily and readily grasped. And you know the same thing is true about God. I'm here tonight to say to you that I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God in everything. Now, do I understand that? No. Because I'm going to talk to you tonight about some unanswered questions. Solomon looked at these, he put his life into this, and it about drove him into madness. He almost just went crazy over all of this, because there are some things that you and I can't really answer. We've all been through those things, where we said, how in the world can God be in this? This looks like the devil. Yeah, but God allowed it. Why would a sovereign, holy God allow this to happen? We've seen things that have taken place in life that we say couldn't possibly, it cannot possibly be good. And yet Romans eight twenty eight tells us that everything works together for good to those who love God, that is. And um, we try to put all those puzzle pieces together. And I think the problem is, maybe number one, we don't have enough intellect to process all of that, okay? Number two, we don't have enough time to do the equation. Some equations just take a long time to figure out. And the third thing is, we don't have the perspective of wisdom to see how they all fit together. You might as well put a trigonometry um, problem in front of a five-year-old. That's kind of the way we are. And so we look and we go, I don't know. Now, one of these days... One of these days, I really believe that we're going to have the privilege of seeing how it all worked, how it all fit together, and what in the world God was up to. Okay? And because I believe in the sovereignty of God, I do not believe that God is just simply a bystander, a spectator, a worried parent in the stands that whenever you, you know, uh, twist your ankle and fall down, he comes running to your rescue He's the God who orchestrates everything, even the painful things, and even the things we don't understand, God is in control of all of these things. And so, on the advice of Solomon, I would say there are just some things you're never going to understand this side of heaven, and you better just accept that fact, or you're going to go crazy. And we don't need anybody else going crazy, do we? We need to be stay solid on what we do know. And we need to stay solid on what is very clear and trust him that he'll make the obscure to be clear in his time because Solomon also wrote to us in Ecclesiastes, he has made everything beautiful. And then he adds these words, in its time. It takes time, but one of these days it'll come clear. So let's uh, read these and we're in uh, chapter 8 and we're in verse 10. And it says, Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten. Uh, their wickedness, in other words, is forgotten. In the city where they had so done. This also, meaningless, vanity, empty, did not make any sense. Verse 11. Because the sentence... Against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, he's allowed to live, in other words. Yet surely I know that it will be well with those who fear God. That's the first reasonable thing he said, right? those who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men, righteous men, to whom it happens, or life happens, according to the work of the wicked. And again... There are wicked men to whom it happens or works out according to the work of the righteous. And I said that this also is vanity. Let's um, think about that before we read verse 15. And think about what these questions might be. Because everybody has these same kind of questions. And the first one um, is simply this. Why are the wicked buried with honor? You know, the funeral has always been, in my mind, is not the place to bring up anybody's dirty laundry. And you will look and see mobsters, you know, that are part of organized crime. And what happens? A priest sprinkles holy water and does incense and does the incantations, and they are buried with honors and sometimes even proclaim to be righteous when all they've done all of their life is to ignore God, spit in God's face, hurt people, and live an unjust life. And Solomon is saying here, I saw the wicked buried, and what happened? They take them to church. They go in and out of the holy place. There goes in the casket, here comes the casket out, and then they go and they say the rituals and things at the grave, and he goes, what is up with that? Now the truth of the matter is, Nobody wants to get up and say, let me tell you all of the crimes this person committed. Let me tell you all of the evil this person did, all of the people that this person hurts. We just don't do that in our society. But when you stop and think about it, it does kind of make you go, hmm, that is interesting. It is something that seems to be kind of out of order. And there probably are some times, I mean, if somebody... Uh, murdered one of my family members, and then the time of their death finally came, I would probably want a chance to say, hey, let me stand up and speak and tell you what this rat really was all about and what he did to my family. But you know what? Typically, we don't do that. Every once in a while, I do a a funeral for someone that I don't know, and uh, I'll talk to the family, and I'll say, uh, does this person... Do they have a Bible? And the family will say, mm, I'm not real sure if I have a Bible or not. And then somebody will go, oh, I think I know where one is. And uh, they'll bring that uh, Bible out, blow the dust off of it. And you'll look at it and try to figure out if the person had any type of knowledge of Jesus Christ or not. And uh, I've had a few occasions where I asked the family, did this person ever... Uh, talked about their faith in Christ, were they ever baptized as a profession of their faith or anything, and have them look at each other and go, I don't really know. I don't really know. And uh, that's a hard, hard thing when you try to preach a funeral for someone like that because I can't preach them into heaven. And a funeral is not a send-off. They're already either in heaven or in hell, and we don't help them out or anything like that at all, do we? And it's kind of a hard thing to do. I have... uh, Thought about, you know, making myself more available to some of the funeral homes and saying, if you find somebody who doesn't have a pastor, you know, call me and I'll see if I can do it. Great chance to preach the gospel, and I've done that a few times. But boy, you get yourself into some sticky situations as to what the family wants to say and what they want to remember and what they want to do. And I have had a couple of occasions where I'm reading the obituary and talking about the person... Only to hear a few snickers in the congregation. Because what I'm reading is not the person that they knew. Does that make sense? And so Solomon is saying... Here the wicked is. I watched them being buried. And it's almost like the city forgot what all they did. Remember he said it's a wicked person. And a wicked person going in and out of the holy place. Now that could mean, like I said... When they had the funeral service... the, The casket or whatever they used in those days or it also could mean this person lived a wicked life and yet had the audacity to go to the temple for feasts and for festivals and Solomon goes how does all this work I would think the same thing have you ever noticed how many people in congress that are so ardently pro-abortion claim to be devout Roman Catholics that makes no sense no sense at all and yet when they die They'll have a Catholic funeral with a priest and all of those kind of things that will go on. Probably will receive last rites and all of those kind of things. Mere rituals. And you look at it and it doesn't make any sense. Because what happens is so many times what is read at the funeral does not match the person's life. So do me a favor. Make it so that whoever preaches your funeral doesn't have to lie. Make it so that your family does not have to scrounge to find a Bible or to remember what your favorite verse is. In fact, I would recommend for a lot of you, if you're middle-aged or older, you really ought to write out your funeral, what you want in your service, all of those kind of things. And uh, you could even bring it up here to the church and we could keep it on file so that your family members don't have to agonize and try to figure out what it is that you want or what it is that you don't want, because you can put that down in there as well. Uh, But understand that everybody's going to die, and probably there will be a funeral service for most, and there will be this false impression that is given. Um, I, I love the military. I grew up as a military brat. You all know that. But sometimes we act if a pers- as if a person killed in Iraq is automatically going to heaven. And that just ain't so. Sometimes we act if a cop dies in the line of duty. Well, they're in heaven now. It just ain't so. Oprah Winfrey said at the Murrah Building bombing, now we have 168 new angels watching over us. It just ain't so. And so when Solomon looks at this, he goes, it's baffling how a person can live one way, but when they are buried... You would never know they were that kind of person, that wicked person that he calls them. And you know what I would say with Solomon? kind of baffles me too. You know, it's interesting how we do that and how we want to try to give people sometimes the benefit of the doubt. So why are wicked people buried with honor? Some of the worst people that have ever lived. Think about the pyramids where the pharaohs were and all of that. I mean, wow, their tombs are still around and all of the things that they... Uh, God, it just doesn't seem to be right. I don't know how to answer that question any more than Solomon does. It's just the way it is in a fallen world, a broken world, an ungodly world, a treasonous world, a blaspheming world. It just happens like that. Secondly, um, why does evil seem to get worse? I thought we should be getting better I thought that as we evolved and as we learned and as we've been through various experiences, things would get better. Um, I never thought I would live to see the day that somebody would run for president and blatantly say, I'm a socialist. I thought maybe my kids would or my grandkids would. I never expected to see it. You know, it's interesting, somebody was talking on the radio how four years ago this was kind of an iffy thing and eight years ago they wouldn't dare mention it. Now it's blatant and it's out in the open. Communist even, right? I look at all of that and go, good gravy, do we never learn? Do we never learn from anything? It's interesting that some of the younger people, and give them a break, they haven't lived long enough to know and they're not really being taught history in schools, they will take up this socialist thing like everybody got to have free health care and free food and free cars and free and, and they never do the math to figure out who's going to pay for all of this first of all. And then they don't look around and say that in these socialist utopias well some of us have been to Venezuela and we went to, to Venezuela it was like the third or fourth richest nation on earth. Now they're eating zoo animals and roadkill and all of that kind of stuff. That's what socialism does. It destroys incentive. It doesn't give anybody any ambition. And it rewards, it rewards power-grabbing people who will take out things for themselves. I mean, the president of Venezuela is not trying to find toilet paper. The president of Venezuela is not eating roadkill. Am I right? You know? But the people are, that he's supposed to love and protect and all of that. And we look at those kind of things and go, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to make the same mistakes they made? Oh, but it's different for us. It's different for us. you know, Really. And then when you add the communist element into it, there has not been any type of government on the face of the earth that has been more persecuting of people like you and me than communists. Joseph Stalin, when he was the premier of the Soviet Union, killed something like 55 million of his own people. Kind of makes Hitler look like a choir boy, doesn't it? And we look at these kind of things and we go, how come we don't learn? Why does history repeat itself? Why is it that things that we thought were dead and, and buried and done with, okay, all of a sudden they rise up? And maybe they have a new label and maybe they have a fresh face, but it's the same old junk. Why does that happen? Well, let's just put it down to one thing, sin. Okay, sin. And these people that have these type of oppressive governments, I mean, when George Washington won the Revolutionary War and when the Constitution was put together, they offered him, they offered him the position of king over the United States of America. And he turned it down. Back when Washington ran unopposed for president, he could have run for as many terms as he wanted. The Constitution didn't specify anything. And he said, two is enough for anyone. And that set the precedent until Roosevelt. It's interesting, when you look at the founding of our country and you see the humility, you see people that really were looking out for the goodness of others... Not perfect. We're not going to whitewash anything and say that there weren't problems. Slavery and discrimination, those were there. But let's also be fair, those are in every culture, anywhere you go, folks. That's a part of fallen humanity. But we also had the mechanism in place to do away with it. You probably have ancestors that fought in the Civil War. I don't know which side. But I had a great, great uncle from Kentucky who took up arms on the side of the Union because he didn't want the Union dissolved and he didn't want slavery as an institution to continue or to flourish. There were people that took up arms to free slaves who were not slaves. Almost every time you look at something where slaves have been freed, there's been some type of rebellion of the slaves this was a civil war that virtually did not involve the slaves but was fought for the slaves see what I'm saying? where did that come from? it came from the foundations of our nation in our constitution in our declaration of independence it took some time for those things to flesh out but they were there if we ever head to a socialist government kiss those things goodbye If we ever take on a communist-style government, then you won't even get a chance to kiss them goodbye because you'll probably be dead before they're even enforced. And I think about those things, and it makes me weep for my nation. It makes me burdened to think about my little grandchildren that run around here. What's it going to be like for them when they're my age? What's going to happen? And then I think about... How no matter what we do, it seems like crime tends to be on the upswing and things get more and more dangerous. Many of you were like I was when I was a kid. Mom just said, be home for supper. What time is that? Well, you just kind of knew. And you played and mom didn't know where I was half the time. Am I right about that? And uh, then we raised our kids and, boy, we didn't let them out of the yard. We wanted to know where they were going, what they were doing all the time, and we were concerned about that. And I think that's gotten worse instead of getting better, hasn't it? Why is that? Why are we afraid of those kind of things? Well, Solomon tells us something here, and uh, this would speak, pardon me, speak to the American justice system, because it kind of bugs me that somebody will commit a murder and then it's 20 years before they're executed. You know what I'm saying? Well, look at what Solomon said. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Whether it's a corrupt politician, whether it's somebody who wants to destroy our country and our culture, whether it's someone who wants to shut down churches or shut down Christians whatever it may be, or whether it's a murderer or a thief or a kidnapper or a drug dealer or any of those kind of things, what happens? Well, when you don't see swift justice, then they're right. There is no deterrent. Now, I believe the Bible allows for governments to put people to death. I think that's clear. But when you wait until that person has been forgotten and the average American doesn't even know who the person is and then you put them to death, well no it doesn't deter anything or anyone. But there was a day when you didn't get 15, 20 or 30 years of appeals, did you? Now am I saying I don't think they ought to get an appeal? No, I think it ought to be where there are appeals put in place where we can make sure this person got a fair trial, that it wasn't a kangaroo court and All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm for that. But sometimes I look at that and I say, if the execution came within two years, three years, whatever you want to do, would that have a deterrent effect on other people? I think it would. I think it would. And I think that's why execution in uh, America used to be much faster. And boy, I, I can't... Think of how I want to land on this, but I knew it did its job. They were public. You want to have your five-year-old kid see someone executed? I don't know if I like that or not. I don't know if I would do it or not. But I'll give you one thing. It would probably make a lifelong lasting impression on them, wouldn't it? And the idea here that Solomon says is, the longer it takes for justice to come the more people think they can get away with it. And that's why these things resurface. That is why these things tend to repeat themselves. And that's why we can never get a handle on things because hands of law enforcement are tied. Courts get tied up for years and years and years. There can be a technicality. This guy's guilty as he can be. But if somebody didn't do something right or say something right, he walks free. What does that do? All of this kind of stuff. Well, there's the answer to all of the American judicial problems right there. When justice doesn't come speedily, what happens? The wicked, depraved hearts of criminals, what does it do? Runs wild. Isn't that interesting that Solomon knew something that maybe our culture can't quite figure out? That's an unanswerable question because that was happening even in his day, wasn't it? It's always been that way. Always been that way since Cain and Abel. Nobody saw a murder coming after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Well, sin has entered the world. Now it's going to be hard to live and there are going to be relationship problems. You read that. And then immediately after that, Cain rises up and kills Abel. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. And I wonder, when we think about those kind of things, don't we all kind of question, how can people be that evil? How can they think of those things? Sometimes I uh, hear about what uh, terrorists do. You know what comes up in my mind? Who thinks of that kind of stuff? Who wants to do that kind of stuff? Where does that come from? Well, Solomon just answered part of that for us, but it doesn't work perfectly Because the heart of man is deceitfully and desperately wicked above all things. Isn't that what the Bible says? And some people, it seems to work even worse than others. Number three, here's another unanswerable question. Why can't people see the reality of eternity? The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. But you have some people that say, ah, it doesn't matter, I don't care, and it has no bearing on their life. Somebody will say, well, I may be damned to hell for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It'll be worth it if I can get away with it, if I can do it, if I can do whatever I want to do. And we look at those kind of people and say, do you not have any fear of God? Do you not have any fear of judgment? Do you not have any fear of uh, any kind of retribution, especially in the eternal sense? But then again, I hear Christian people sometimes saying when a person uh, that is in a prison, maybe a Jeffrey Epstein type person, you know, and they kill themselves or somebody kills them, whatever happened there, I've heard Christian people say, well, they got off easy. Not if you believe in the sovereignty of God, not if you believe in the reality of hell, not if you believe in the reality of the judgment of the great white throne in the book of Revelation. In fact, we need to understand that even if a person gets away with a crime in this life, they're not really getting away with it, not for long. Because one day they will answer to a higher authority and they will answer to a higher court. And so Solomon says in this group of verses here, he says... Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, a hundred crimes, a hundred murders, a hundred robberies, whatever, and his days are prolonged, in other words, he's not executed for that. He's not, uh, you know, a mob doesn't grab him and kill him or string him up at a tree, a lynching or something like that, right? He said, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. And we tend to kind of ignore the facts and hope for the best on things. You know, uh, my great aunt was a lifelong chain smoker. Want to know when she died? Natural causes, no cancer, no COPD. At the age of 96. okay, And you know what we tend to do as humans? We can read all the reports, watch all the things, see other people die horrible deaths. And then light up and say, yeah, but my aunt lived to be 96. Okay, can we say this? She was an anomaly. Chances are, did you know what I read today? The average lifespan of a smoker, they struggle to get to 70. Now, some will go further. Some will not make it by a long shot. So it all kind of averages out, doesn't it? And what we tend to do instead of going, Wow, that stuff is dangerous. And very few people live like my Aunt Stella to be 96 when they smoke without any complications. Hardly anybody does that, folks. And yet we ignore it because it's what we want to do. Now that's just an illustration. This is the way people live. And there are any number of that are people that are running drug cartels and operations like that, knowing that statistically they're not going to live to be an old man or an old woman. But they do it anyway because they can point out one person who made it, one person who did it, and so they continue on and they continue on in all of that. And it seems like it goes okay for other people and other people have the life that they want to live and God didn't strike them dead, nothing happened and so they continue on as though their days have been prolonged. And Solomon says, yeah, but even if they do, which is unlikely, even if they do, it's still going to be better in the day of death and the day of judgment for those who fear God. And our problem is, we might say amen to that in a church service like this. At least I hope you would. But really when we start living our life, that's why we're tempted sometimes to maybe stretch the truth, to maybe break the law a little bit here. Well, everyone else does it. Try that you know, with the IRS. Everyone else is doing it. Why can't I do it? We take advantage of things. We may steal from our employer. We may take time off that's not warranted. We may not do the best job that we do. Well, other people get away with it. Why do I have to work so hard? And that's the game we play. And that is not going to bode well for us. Because Solomon saw it coming way back then when he said that we've got to live in the reality of eternity. Your life is going to be judged Even as a Christian, the Bible says in Romans that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to determine your salvation, but to evaluate your life. Were you a faithful servant? Were you a faithful follower? Were you a faithful soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you use your time wisely? Did you use your money wisely? Were your morals intact? Were you honoring God in everything that you do? And uh, in those cases where you did then your life will be like gold, silver, and precious stones that can withstand the fire. If you didn't, then it'll be like wood, hay, and stubble, and you'll have nothing but ash to show for your life. Now that is a sad reality. And we don't think much in terms of eternity anymore, and that's one of the things that Solomon lamented. Uh, We look at how things go in this life, and what we got to do in this life, and how it went for us instead of thinking of it in light of eternity. I would encourage you to do that. Number four, here's another quest- question Why do people seem to receive what they do not deserve? Now, we can get technical about that because, with all of us being sinners, I guess we deserve it all. But from a human standpoint, looking at things, he asked the question in here. He says, uh, There's a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men, good men, law abiding men even righteous men, to whom it happens or life goes according to the work of the wicked. Isn't that interesting? And then he says, and again, there are wicked people who seem like they get the reward of the righteous. And Solomon is just saying, I don't get it. You know what I would say, Brother Solomon? I don't either. I don't understand why an actress like Sharon Tate is killed by the Manson family. What was she, 26 And Charlie Manson, the ringleader of the group, got to live to be 83. That didn't make any sense to me. Why do the innocent suffer? And why do the wicked seem to get the reward of those who are just? Should have turned the other way around, in my opinion. And uh, he should have died young. And she should have been able to live longer and live to be much older than that. It just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. Solomon wrestled with these things. In fact, the Bible goes on to uh, tell us here that uh, the wisest thing Solomon could think of is found in verse 15. So I commended enjoyment. In other words, have fun, live it up. Because a man has nothing better to do under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like an Epicurean. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. You know what he's saying? If you can't figure it out, instead of saying what I'm saying is trust God anyway, Solomon said, don't even worry. Just do whatever pleases you and live the way you want. Do whatever you please. There's really nothing better. If you can't figure out life, you might as well just forget about all of it and be high, have fun, and do whatever you can. Okay? And that's pretty much what Solomon did most of his life. But there's hope for Solomons, just like there's hope for you and me. Because if you go down to verse 16, he says this, When I set my heart to know wisdom and to experience the affairs that are done on earth, though day and night there is no sleep for one's eyes, then I saw all the work of God. Ah, the light's coming on that a man cannot comprehend the work that is done under the sun. In other words, Solomon said, I finally figured out he's God and I'm not. He's got infinite wisdom, I don't. I may be wise, but not with infinite wisdom. He sees the end from the beginning, I don't. He has a plan, I don't. I'm observing, I'm looking at things. And he says, inasmuch as a man labors to work, he will not understand... Even if a wise man claims to know, he cannot grasp it. And that reminds us that God himself told us, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are past finding out. In other words, we wouldn't know anything about God had he not been kind enough and gracious enough to reveal it to us. And what he reveals to us It's enough. Enough for us to live the right kind of life. Enough for us to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Enough for us to know where the battle is. Enough for us to know what's really going on behind the scenes. But then there are some things where we look at it and we go, What? And why? And how? And heaven is silent. And the scripture doesn't speak. And at that point, we put our little Piece of the puzzle down that we don't understand, set it aside, and we get back to what we do understand. Because God never gives you an excuse to say, Well, I didn't understand anything, so I'm not going to do anything. God said, No, you had plenty of revelation and plenty of clarity as to what you were supposed to do. Now get busy and focus in on those things and trust your loving heavenly Father that one of these days. We'll understand it better by and by, right? And until then, keep singing, keep praising, keep giving, keep working, keep witnessing, keep serving, and do it with zeal. Because God deserves your very best. And one of these days, one of these days, you'll have the privilege of seeing how your life fit together. And can you imagine getting to heaven and an angel hands you a piece of a puzzle and you go, what is this? And the angel points down, oh, there's the puzzle of life I was working on. And the angel goes right there and we put it in and we go, that was me? That was my life? That was my questions? My bewilderness? Look at that. Look at that. It makes a perfect picture of Christ and His glory. And it all fits. And it all fits together well. Because God knows what he's doing and we don't if you ever watch your grandma embroider remember that hoop thing that they had and then you know she'd work on all of that kinda of stuff you ever look at that from the bottom side what a mess well, that has, grandma's lost it you know look at that Until you look over her shoulder and then you go oh that's my name and there's a flower or a bird or something remember when they used to embroider pillowcases on this side it looks like a mess On this side it makes perfect sense. Get the analogy? I don't understand it when I'm on this side. It's a mess. But one of these days. One of these days. One of these days. Can you imagine the satisfaction you're going to feel when you're in heaven and you see the sovereign plan of God from beginning to end and you see how He used your life for His glory to fulfill His plan And you go, what a wise God. His ways are past finding out. Glory, glory to our all-knowing, all-sovereign God. Rest in that, even when you don't understand. Rest in Him. May we pray? Lord, like Solomon, we have a lot of things that we don't understand. And forgive us for those times when we don't get all that worked up about it as long as it's happening to someone else. But boy, when it happens to us, man, are we ever annoyed, upset, angry, frustrated, rebellious even. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to leave those things that are far beyond our capabilities in the hands of our good and loving, kind and gracious God. And one of these days... We're confident, Lord, that when your plan has all been fulfilled, we will say, He doeth all things well. Thank you for that. And burn that into our heart tonight, and let us rest easy. You know what you're doing, even if we can't figure it out. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.